arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Just a gunfight, don't worry about it. I wanted Lester Larson to be the nudge in this story. Not only that, Lester is a little bit wacko because of what he did with Arnie Dewars in the gym, challenging Dewars if he could hang from the rafters with a rope around his neck for a certain amount of time. Larson is in the middle of all this stuff with Gautowski and the other union people as well as the feds coming in. Jones and Coco sneak out of Larson's motel room. They meet with Sandra and Kimball from the union. The other union will be able to work against Gautowski, Frankie Ski. And they are providing information on a very important person. Episode 3 of Rest in Peace, Bill Jones by Robert P. Fitton coming up right now. Rest in Peace, Bill Jones. Southern Comfort Motor Inn. 44 Tulips Boulevard, Argo, Ohio. Jones tapped the TV and the game returned on the screen. Hey, no smoking, said Lester, standing next to the motel window curtains. Hey, you don't tell me I can't smoke, dweeb, said Coco from the bed. Jones hit the set again. All I wanted to do was watch the playoffs. You got a lot of nerve, said Lester as he returned to the window. Why not stay at a name brand hotel, asked Jones. Comfort time. What is this, a hangout for hookers? Coco laughed. Hey, that's a good one, Jonesy. I'm on a budget, answered Lester, gripping the gun in his holster as he peered back to the highway. You stole that Jeep from the college, creep, didn't you? If old man Fletcher knew that, he'd throw your ass out of town. I'm not listening. Lester peered out the window as Coco tightened his right fist. He and Jones crossed to the far side of the room. He sat on the bed, hoisted up his leg, and leaned toward Jones as he whispered, Gotta get out of this rat trap, Jonesy. He does have the gun. Coco stared at the TV. What's the matter with the set? Who knows? This whole place is like Area 51. <laughs> Surprised they don't fix it, at least for the cockroaches. No cockroaches, said Lester. All gone. They sprayed it with Janela's side. What's that? asked Jones. Stuff they use to defoliate electrical lines. Coco struggled to his feet. What are you, out of your mind? Just sit down and get some shut-eye. Jones felt a nudge on his side. He opened his eyes in the dim light and checked his watch. Lester snored across the radiator. He held the gun as it went up and down on his stomach. It's 4.30, said Jones in a low voice. Let's leave while he sleeps. No argument here. Coco slowly moved the chain and almost silently turned the deadbolt in the lock. He led Jones into the corridor and closed the door. Coco had a slight limp as they veered toward the elevator. Once inside, Coco spoke up. Smartest thing we ever did was sneak out while Fishface was sleeping. The elevator moved downward. Can't believe that guy has anything to do with your Fletchers. Hey, it's not my Fletchers. The old man knows what I can do for him. Plus, Lester's blackmailing the old man. Jones raised his brows. What? 
I know. Don't ask. Very good, Jonesy. Now you're getting the big picture. I'm telling you, my leg is okay, said Coco as they stepped out of the yellow cab. Overnight snow had flitted onto the bare tree branches, the park benches, and the eerie arboretum's glass roof. At the lower level, the prodigious glass and steel tube structure rose into view. The verdant green foliage inside seemed incongruous with the outside snowfall. I don't think he's going to tell us which congressman is involved with Gautowski, Coco. Boston tells me they got lawyers and investigators tracking all that info down. That's all new information, providing Kimball wasn't lying. Why would he make it up? asked Jones as he opened the aluminum and glass door to the lobby. <laughs> Why do people make anything up? What about the DA's office? The warmer air blew against Jones as he stepped to the ticket counter. He thought he saw Lester Larson visible through the lobby windows as he darted along the street. What is it, Jonesy? Jones jumped away from the ticket counter and stepped up to the windows across the lobby. Lester Larson, I thought I just saw him run down the road out there. Yeah, well, maybe Sleeping Beauty woke up, said Coco, waving him back. Come on, let's get the tickets. Jones kept glancing at the street. That man is going to send me over the edge. <laughs> you and me both. Coco, what's the plan? Well, we convinced them to tell the contact in the DA's office about what they know. Boston was pissed we weren't at Hathaway Street. We all know who's responsible for that. Yeah, they don't want to hear it. They want Frankie Ski out of the way. Are you in trouble? Coco did a double take and squinted. I'm never in trouble, Jonesy. I just haven't talked my way out of it yet. Here's what I was told while I was on the payphone. Boston has local people meeting us at Herbert Cooley Park on the lake at 2 o'clock. We get cash, wheels, and guns, and we get the contact's name. Look, Coco, I'm just a football coach. Yeah. You keep telling yourself that, Jonesy. Jones paid for the tickets and handed a ticket to Coco. They moved into the massive arboretum's foliage. There's birds in here. Yeah, well, they'll be dropping their goodies on us, bombs away. Jones grinned as he looked up a hundred feet into the trees. While he couldn't figure out all of Coco's connections, he genuinely liked him, and he admired his daring and his nerve. Yet his thoughts about Coco shouldn't have anything to do with whether he took the Hamilton job. I feel bad for Sandra being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Shit happens. Jones raised his brows again. What about Lester? He's a wanted man. Yeah, he's on the lam now. I'm the last guy in the world that wants people in jail, but I'll make an exception. Give him enough rope. Jonesy, last weekend at the club, that spastic pegged a dot at a guy who works in Mayor Picotta's office. He hit him right in the ass. That man is a walking disaster area, Coco. Oh, I threw him out of the club. He got on his little motor scooter and left. Motor scooter? Yeah, I guess he drives it around the campus. What a loser. How did he get that scar around his neck, asked Jones. Looks like he had a head transplant. Coco stopped and pointed at Jones. This is what I heard over the club, but I can't verify it. They were over the gymnasium at the college. He and Dewars. Who? Dewars. He owns a lumber company in Hamilton. I won't even go there about that wise ass. You'll learn that soon enough when you come back. Those two were in the gym and Dewars challenged him. To what? Larson bet Dewars that he could hang from the rafters in a noose without dying. Jones squinted. Only a fool would try a stunt like that. 
Coco laughed. <laughs> I rest my case. I guess he was up there for almost an hour. Did something to his brain and sliced his neck, but he's still alive. Must have cut off the oxygen. Jones shook his head as they passed through a rock tunnel that opened into a bright and waterfall area ahead. Colorful yellow, red, and white orchids dotted a thick spread of leafy plants. Jones, still shaking his head, followed Coco behind the waterfall. On the far side, they sat on a bench in front of a spindly tree that ascended toward the glass and the blue sky. A tree is huge, said Jones, looking at his watch. High noon. Tree looks like it has arthritis. Where are they? He looked out toward the street again. Will you relax? Coco asked him as he adjusted his leg on the bench. They have to show up or they face Gautowski. Well, that goes for us, too, said Jones as a bright orange butterfly flitted above the plants. Wow, a butterfly. Yeah, wow. Coco leaned back as a multicolored chameleon jumped up on the bench. Coco faced the reptile. The hell do you want? You know that chameleons can see two things at once? <laughs> Sounds like Saturday night at the club. He stared at the creature. Damn thing hasn't flinched. Do they bite? Don't know. Hey, you know about the eyes. Well, I think they eat insects. You don't know that, Jonesy. He stared closer at the chameleon. Hey, Charlie, how'd you like to have a fish face for dinner? Jones leaned back and laughed. Charlie? Yeah, he looks like Charlie DuPont. Works in Herbert Lane's office in Prince William. Who's Herbert Lane? The DA of Prince William County. Jones looked at his own watch. Now you're even wondering whether Sander and Kimball are going to show. They returned from the outside where Coco had smoked two cigarettes while he panned the street. You didn't see Lawson again, did you? asked Coco. No, said Jones near the waterfall. This is bad. They're an hour late. Coco limped behind. He looked back to the lobby beyond the falls. Gautowski may have made a move on him. We may have to leave town. Jones squinted in the sunlight, filling the upper supports and glass. More trees and flowers were on the rampway above. A ladder extended to the upper panels, and a metal door boarded the arboretum's solid inner wall. But Jones's mind was back east as he felt the enticement of coaching a college team, even if it was just for an obscure institution such as Hamilton College. He smiled as he pondered the absolute control Hamilton Fletcher had over the college and the town. So the Fletchers are in the paint business. Coco's eyes seemed tense. His leg must have been bothering him. The old man built the business. He went to Princeton, no dummy. Came back to New Hampshire and took a piss-poor little paint factory, made it into a force. They private labeled paint east of the Mississippi. Family founded the college in the 1800s. Hamilton Fletcher poured money into it and took over. A little help from his friends. Yeah, but I don't want him calling plays or setting defenses. The old man don't care about that. If you win, he won't bother you. Like I said before, if he likes you, you're in. I need to recruit players, Coco. Well, tell him. If it promotes the image of Hamilton College, then he's happy. If it doesn't, he panics. Jones nodded. What about you? Coco's head flipped toward Jones. Jonesy, you worry about your own business. Trust me, there are some things you don't want to know. A voice drifted down from above. Stefani! Kimball stood with Sandra on an upper canopy ramp 50 feet above them. We'll be right up. Jones kept a slower pace with Coco as they left the elevator. I'm sorry we're late, said Sandra. We were being followed. I figured. I have the congressman's information, said Kimball. 
He looked pale and his hands shook. Even his voice was at a higher pitch. You have to get us to the contact immediately. The waterfall poured into the pool far below. Who was following you? asked Coco. Is it a little guy in a green jeep? asked Jones. No, no, not him. A long black car and a maroon SUV, said Sandra. I have no idea how they tracked us down. We took public transportation to get here. Congressman, Warren Sherman is the man paid off by Gautowski, said Kimball. Sherman, Sherman getting the pension money directly from Gautowski, asked Coco. Yes and no, the money has been converted into stocks and drugs. Untraceable, said Coco. Smart. Do you have a record of this? The 10th Street Bank bought the stocks from one of the union officials. Not sure about the drugs. Once they start questioning people, this will all come out, said Jones. We can get you to the contact in the DA's office after lunch. I don't want any FBI or cops, said Kimball, now breathing rapidly. That's important about the cops, said Sandra. So many of them are crooked because of Gautowski. Jones thought about Donovan's claim that he was technically a special agent. Your testimony will destroy Gautowski. That's what scares me, she said. My life will never be the same. They have you guys living in a safe house far away. You'll be fine, said Coco. We've got a planned meeting out at the lake this afternoon. Kimball's eyes opened wide and he grabbed his neck as he was thrown back into the bushes. Jones, Coco, and Sandra dove to the concrete. Coco leaned over and put his fingers to Kimball's throat. He's dead. Silencer. Sandra, shaking like a vibrating motor, clutched onto Jones. We don't go down below, that's for damn sure. There's another door at the end of the ramp, said Jones. Up the ramp, stay down. Out the door before they get up here. Coco limped unusually fast once he was inside the tree forest. Only a small amount of blood seeped through his pant leg from the park bullet wound. Once at the highest level near the glass roof, Jones opened a storage room door and they all moved inside. Fifty feet away, a series of window spans overlooked the grounds below. He pushed open the outside door. A fire escape zigzagged down the side of the building. Down the fire escape, he said, waving Coco and Sander through. Jones put his arm around Coco's shoulder and helped him down the four levels to a dumpster on the side of the building. They moved in unison across the snowy grass and used the shrubbery to shield their movement along the road. They crossed two streets and disappeared behind a yellow brick public building. For the moment, they had shed their pursuers. Rest in Peace, Bill Jones, Chapter 12 Herbert Cooley Park, Lake Erie, Cleveland, Ohio the park consisted of a grassy stretch along the Blue Lake. Several wood pavilions, set on concrete slabs, had open windows to the lake and a nearby parking lot behind. Another larger center building, with public restrooms, had yellow clapboards and boarded dozens of rusted pedestal barbecue pits. Jones peered out the pavilion's open window toward the parking lot. Lester Larson had just driven the stolen spray-painted Jeep into the outer parking lot. Jones waved Coco over. Coco. Lester. Sandra, wearing a red Cleveland Cavalier's hat and dark vest, stood in the far corner and hurried over. What's he doing here? Who knows? Jones faced Coco. He's going to mess this whole thing up with your people. I know. 
Lester backed into a parking space at the far end of the lot. Maybe he'll stay put, said Coco, and maybe with luck they'll take him out. Who exactly is he? asked Sandra. Jones caught Coco's eye again. Someone who shouldn't be following us. That man is the oddest human being I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Touché, exclaimed Coco. Who disguises a vehicle with spray paint, asked Jones. Two white pickup trucks entered the other side of the lot. Once stopped, several men exited the trucks. What's this? asked Jones. It has to be our people, said Coco. Five men, all in casual clothes, carried assault weapons and walked in unison across the asphalt. I hope there are guys. I don't like this, added Coco at the other end. Who else would know about this meeting? asked Sandra. Nobody, but you never know said Coco, checking the small pipe he had set in the corner. Jones's heart thumped as the men reached the brown grass and veered toward the pavilion. I don't know how Dad did this for a living. Yeah, don't start with I'm just a football coach. Well, I am, he said, smiling as Sandra looked at him. Don't worry, Sandra. In an hour, we'll have the DA's contact name and be downtown. Her glassy blue eyes, just below the cap's brim, focused on Jones. I hope so. Lester remained in the jeep as a husky Latino stepped in front of the others in the side opening. He wore a blue party shirt and was adorned in gold chains around his neck and wrist. In his hand was an extended chrome handgun, and he spoke with a choppy Spanish accent. Which one of you is Stefani? Coco, he said as he stepped forward. Who the hell are you? Tell me who you're working for, my friend. First of all, I ain't your friend, and I ain't telling you nothing. Coco strut up to the gun. You tell me who you're working for. The other men, all armed, formed a semicircle around the inside of the pavilion. You coming with us, Miss Colby, said the man with the chrome handgun. Nobody's going anywhere. Hey, Jones, my friend, you have no weapons. How do you know who I am? You should have minded your own business. You and your buddies, who do you work for? asked Jones. They're not going to tell you nothing, Jonesy. The Latino thrust out his gun. You two, against the wall. What, so you can execute us? Or we kill you now. Gunfire erupted near the public restrooms in the main building. The Latino was shot through the chest and collapsed on the concrete. The other men spun back toward the main building. Jones pushed Sandra to the floor as the men, all armed, ran toward the lakeside windows. Coco grabbed the pipe and swung wildly on the two men closest to him. Their guns spun on the floor as they went down. Jones tackled the next guy as the remaining man turned to fire. But Coco caught him first with the pipe, and the man held his wrist in pain as he hovered against the wall. Coco picked up the gun and jammed it in the man's stomach. Who sent you, scum? Frankie. Huh, Frankie Ski himself? Yeah. Two men in dark suits ran from the restroom with rifles drawn. Sandra hovered near Jones. The greasy-haired man with the full Manchu mustache held his rifle upward. I'm Cersei. We just received a call from Boston. The last of Gautowski's men aimed another gun at him. With a single shot, Cersei shot him dead. Yeah, if you're from Boston, tell me the name of the strip joint in South Boston. Cersei paused and looked at the other men. Then he faced Coco. Glass slipper. Coco nodded. Okay, you're all right. These men came from Frankie Ski, shouted Jones. Don't worry about it. Let's get out of here. Can you get us downtown? You take one of the trucks. I want us all separated. We'll be ahead of you in the green Mercedes. 
Who are you men? asked Sandra in a louder voice. You've been sent by my people. We'll get you to a safe place, miss. I need to go to the DA's contact. That's where we've been ordered to go. Cersei waved them all outside. Sandra walked with Jones out of the pavilion, but her fearful look indicated she did not have the same confidence that Coco had in Cersei and his men. Then what? asked Jones. Things have been arranged downtown for Colby's statement and Ms. Ramsey. Yeah, what about Gautowski? asked Coco. DA is probably in Gautowski's hip pocket. Ramsey isn't. Cersei pressed his lips, crunching his mustache. It's an outside investigation, that's all I know. Coco laughed. Yeah, you mean the feds. Yes, sir. <laughs> Your fellow workers, Jonesy, said Coco. Jones looked at Coco as they moved quickly across the asphalt. Think Mark Dunneman is very clever with his words. Jones drove a new white truck behind the teal Mercedes with Sandra Colby in the back seat. Where is that little goofball? asked Coco, looking at the guns taken from the fallen men. The jeep never moved, said Jones, and I didn't see him inside. Yeah, well, he ducked down, Jonesy. And how did Frankie Ski know about this meeting? asked Jones. Jonesy, I have no idea. Coco looked in the mirror behind them on the interstate. Better yet, if Fishface knew about the meeting, maybe they could have followed him. Hopefully he's disappeared. Permanently, said Coco as he lit a cigarette. You have to call Boston about Sherman. <laughs> Not on the cell I won't. It'll be traced. But you're right, Jonesy. Sherman, if he gets the heads up, will squelch this whole thing. And that includes us. Dad didn't have a chance. Nothing against your old man, but I don't think he did. But one thing at a time. Look, Boston is going to make sure Gotowski goes down once Ramsey alerts the feds. I don't trust any of them. Gotowski is a weasel, and Sherman probably has the best lawyers in the country. Look, if they can get Gautowski to sing, Jonesy, he'll take Sherman down. Come on. Jones signaled right at the light. He checked the mirror. He'll follow us, Coco. We have weapons now, Jonesy. Just remember, Boston is on this. They'll provide protection for us now. Yeah, whether we're here in Boston, wait. Why would I have to go back there? Well, it's not a bad idea you get out of this town, Matt. Just who was that guy calling me Matt? Don't go there. Jones raised his brow and stared at Coco. What are you looking at? You want to get Gautowski or what? Well, of course I do. All right, then. then. Don't ask questions I can't answer. We've got to play this through. Colby gives a deposition to Ramsey and he'll get in the legal system. Who gave the order to kill Dad? I don't know that. They passed under a concrete interstate bridge, and just as they emerged from the darkened area, the truck's rear window exploded. Rounds of bullets chewed up the dash. Jones swerved and bounced onto the median. They were still shooting from behind as he maneuvered the truck along the concrete drainage channel. The front tire went flat, and the truck thumped on its side. Momentum carried the chassis toward the huge drainage pipe ahead. Water entered from the passenger side. Out of the truck, Jonesy! Coco's wound had opened up again. The blood circle widened. Jones, standing in the rising cold water, got behind Coco and pushed him through the open window. Then he crawled upward and out. The phone is wrecked. Coco threw his phone against the concrete. And the guns. Not good. My phone, too. He caught sight of Coco's bloody pant leg. You need to get sewn up again. Later. Come on, let's get out of here. For the first time in his life, Jones now believed he would be killed. 
Coco limped through the water toward the drainage pipe as Jones lifted him from under his shoulder. A few hundred feet ahead, the pipe led to a brightened area beyond. Coco motioned for him to stop. What now? asked Jones. They'll drive down the interstate and they'll be waiting for us out there. What are you saying? Go back the way we came in? That's a big gamble. Yeah, it's a big gamble. If we go the other way, they'll blow us away for sure. Surprisingly, Coco lit a cigarette and grinned. At least my smokes are dry. I thought you were going to tell me you were just a football coach. Well, I coach basketball and baseball, too. Yeah, if you take the job and we don't get wiped out, you can get me tickets to the games. Now let's go. How can you be so calm? What if you're wrong? <laughs> then we won't be around to worry about it, will we? Come on, let's get out of this sewer. As darkness descended over the city, the taxi stopped outside the three-story Metro Hotel along the interstate 25 miles outside the city. Coco paid the driver. We don't even have Cersei's number, said Jones. That's how you lose ball games. Coco limped over. What are you talking about, Jonesy? Arrogance. You think you got the game in the bag. All that does is allow the other team to win because of your mistakes. Yeah, well, we blew it all right. He looked around. You registered, Jonesy. I'm getting on the payphone to Boston. Coco, that leg is going to be infected. I need to get you some bacitracin and gauze. If I don't get us out of here, Jonesy, it ain't going to matter if I have a peg leg. Jones watched him favor his wounded leg. Having contact with the drainage water after reopening the wound guaranteed infection. Jones quickly procured a room and then met Coco next to the phones by the elevator. I told him where we are. I told him about Ramsey and Sherman. They'll get their attorneys on it. What about Sandra and Cersei? Coco shuffled into the elevator, followed by Jones. He ground his teeth. I ain't taking nothing for granted. Gautowski is brutal. They're going to need people to turn on him. Listen, here's the skinny. A limo will pick us up in an hour and get us to the airport. They'll fly us to Boston. They owe us both. They're extremely happy about Frank Gautowski going down. So am I, Coco. So am I. Coco, never one to lack stamina, lay on the motel's window side bed. He was not asleep, but constantly pressed his lips as sweat beads rolled onto his cheeks. Jones unscrewed a water bottle and lifted it to his lips. Thanks. You need to be treated, Coco. He replied in a weakened, raspy, muddled speech. I'm all right, Jonesy. No, you're not. Look, the limo will be here, and we'll be in Boston. Just a couple hours. Jones rolled his eyes and got on the phone. He asked the front desk for the local hospital number as somebody pounded on the motel room door. Maybe the limo had arrived. He hung up the phone and sidestepped to the door. Yeah, room service, answered a mumbled voice. Coco tried to sit up but fell back to the pillow. Find out who the hell it is. Jones unplugged and grabbed a bureau lamp. He turned it upside down and whipped open the door. Lester Larson, his blue eyes magnified by the eye goggles, traipsed into the room with a long black gun drawn. What are you doing here, idiot? Hands in the air! We're not going with you. Coco is sick. He's a faker. Coco raised his voice and clenched his fists as he struggled to stand. Listen, you loser. You have no clue to what's going on here, Lester, said Jones. Outside, headlights swung by the window. Jones scurried to the window as the white limo slowed curbside. Is that the limo, Jonesy? Yeah, right, is out there. Jones and Coco started toward the door. Stop right there, shouted Lester, tilting his head as he darted back to the window. He tripped over the bedspread corner and grabbed the drapes, 
dislodging the hardware. Moron, muttered Coco, now on his feet. Lester pulled himself up and fired the gun through the window. The stray bullet hit the limo square on the passenger side door. A volley of shots erupted from the limo and Jones dove to the floor. Then the limo rocketed out of the motel parking lot. Look what you did, shouted Coco. You're both coming with me. Coco needs antibiotics. Lester, his mouth open, as if he was going to produce a wide whistle, gawked at Coco. I won't do it. What? Coco, Jones steadied Coco as they left the room. You're making a dumbass mistake, Lawson, and I bet you've made some buttes in your lifetime. The arm of justice is not far away. Yeah, you need the fist of justice. Jones spoke as he helped Coco to the elevator. Does your father know you went after us? My father always says that ignorance is bliss. Yeah, he ought to know. Jones bore the brunt of Coco's weight. Since they had arrived in the room, Coco had weakened. Lester's jeep was parked in the lower garage. Jones started the elevator down before anyone had entered the third floor. Where are you taking us, fish face? Precinct 7, Station 9. I have a map right here, he said, pointing to his temple. I have a photographic memory. Yeah, sharp as a tack, said Coco, taking a deep breath as they approached the spray-painted jeep. Why the hell did you paint this jeep anyway? Any fool knows about camouflage. My war experience. Look, Lawson, just get us to the airport. I'll use my connections to have your escaping jail charges dropped. No, sir. As Lester started the jeep, Jones turned to Coco and spoke in a low voice. We can't just let him bring us to that station. I'm aware of that, Jonesy, but Gautowski owns a lot of dirty cops. Try and get the gun. Jones leaned forward as they exited the garage. Lester, you should consider Coco's offer. He slid his hand along the side of the seat. Don't distract me, Jones. I'm putting my map skills to work. Left, right, over, under, right, right. He raced up the ramp and back toward the highway. Keep your eyes on the road, Lawson. Lester twisted his body around as he slowed and stopped at the traffic light while looking at Jones. What is this, a driverless car? No, it's a brainless driver, cried Coco as Lester pulled away from the light. Look, what will it take, Lawson? You want money? Money don't mean nothing to me. What about girls? I'll get Rita's felt back for you. Lester thought about that offer. He jammed on the brakes, but then popped the clutch. No, I won't do it. He pushed the accelerator to the floor. The Jeep raced over 60 miles an hour through a congested neighborhood. Left, right, over, under, right, right. An older man scurried across the street and flashed his middle finger at Lester. Out of my way, Gramps. Coco yelled from the back seat. Slow down, you fool. You almost clipped that old man. Left, right, over, under, right, right. What are you doing, opening a safe, Lester? Asked Jones as they started off the ramp. Directions back to the station house, plain back of my head. Who gave you the directions? Law enforcement. What if it's the same guys who were in the pavilion? Asked Jones. He showed me an FBI badge, said Lester. Well, what was his name? Lester twisted his large lips. Hender, no, Spencer. Wasn't Bender, was it? Bender, FBI. Coco looked at Jones. The agent is crooked, Lawson. Get us to the airport. Lester had a quizzical expression on his face. I lost my map bearings. Yeah, you lost your marbles, said Coco. 5.15 in the morning, Lester Larson passed through the red light at 62 miles an hour. 
The red and blue lights flashed behind the Jeep. Lester banked immediately left, and then the two outside wheels left the ground. He nearly sideswiped three compacts along the apartment buildings. Just stop this thing, you maniac, shouted Coco. Lester swung onto a narrow street that led up a steep hill bordering the city buildings. Jones covered his eyes as Lester ran another stop sign toward a series of apartment houses. An industrial garage door moved upward. Lester brought the Jeep up a long concrete ramp and entered the open warehouse with hundreds of lally column supports. This ain't no station house. You're a double crosser, said Jones. Lester pumped the brakes and abruptly stopped before opening his door and falling to the concrete. As he scrambled toward a side door next to the garage, Coco raised his voice. Benda, set him up. Coco held his leg as Lester exited the garage. Are you all right, Coco? Not good, Jonesy. Like a behemoth rising from the deep, a black Cadillac moved up the ramp. Once inside, the door closed and the bright white ceiling lights flipped on. The car had stopped alongside Lester's Jeep. Three men in turtlenecks and navy sport coats moved out of the Cadillac. A short, pudgy, balding man smoking a cigarette was helped out the back door. His disheveled appearance was highlighted by his worn gray suit. He threw his cigarette across the concrete and opened the Jeep's rear door. What the hell do you sons of bitches think you're doing? He looked up at Coco's leg propped up on the bench seat. What's wrong with him? I was shot. My leg's infected. You're the one from West Hathaway Street. How the hell did you guys even get out there? We wanted to live, said Jones. Good answer. I like that. He extended his hand. I'm Gautowski. Jones had a reluctance to shake hands with the man who might have ordered Dad's death. Thias Jones. Jones was certain Gautowski was involved in Dad's death when the union boss was silent after Jones mentioned his last name. Coco shook his hand. Coco Stefani. Gautowski rounded the hood and got in the front seat. He extended his arm over the seat as he turned. Where is Sandra Colby, a worker at Five Lakes? Look, Frank, we have no idea where she is, said Jones. She disappeared from the pavilion with the two guys that killed your men. Gautowski nodded and lit a cigarette. He dipped the pack toward Jones and then Coco. Both men declined. Gautowski had a baby doll laugh. <laughs> I'm not screwing around, boys. Who's their sponsor? Are they going after me legally? No idea, said Coco. You're full of shit, both of you. Tell you what I'm going to do. This is an old warehouse, built in 1946. There's going to be a little fire here tonight. Now, you boys will have a ringside seat for this blaze, unless you cooperate. It's that simple. He produced the baby doll laugh. <laughs> Why don't you bring Congressman Sherman over here, said Coco. Gartoski's eyes opened wide. What do you know about Sherman? Union boss waved his gun-toting guys over to Coco. Coco smiled. <laughs> it's not just me, Frank. You kill us and you'll be indicted. You're a bluffer. You tell us what we want to know. He slid out of the car. Get the gasoline, boys. Let's douse this place. You're going down, Frank, shouted Coco. They're drawing up the indictments as we speak. You listen to me, jerk, cried Gautowski as his face reddened. You try and escape, we'll shoot you. Now, who met with Colby? <laughs> Who's Colby? asked Coco, laughing at the union boss. Burn, baby, burn. Gautowski himself grabbed a gas can. With the other men, he began emptying the gasoline onto the walls and the scattered boxes. 
Then one of the men ran over to the jeep and produced metal handcuffs. He forced Jones and Coco forward and handcuffed them to the steering wheel. Lester, what a creep, said Jones. Don't you see, Jonesy? Get rid of us and his old man stays on as coach. He doesn't care about Gautosky or even Sherman. He's the reason those clowns got out to the pavilion. Gautosky got in the Cadillac's back seat. The car backed around the garage. The tires squealed and the garage door went up. Three men spread the fire around the warehouse and then retreated out the side door. The spare, the spare key, key, they said in unison. Jones popped the empty sunglasses compartment. He took the damn key out, shouted Coco. Jones leaned over the glove compartment. Nothing. Ah, we're screwed, said Coco as the yellow flame's reflection danced around the Jeep's interior. Jones began running his fingers around the console base and under the seat. He even checked the visor. He and Coco locked eyes. His friend glanced at the yellow flame jet spreading along the boxes. Not good. Rest in Peace, Bill Jones, Chapter 13, Gabardine Warehouse, 35 First Street, Bieber, Ohio. Sweat creased Jones's hair and soaked his jersey. He and Coco gripped the steering wheel and frantically pulled back and forth as the orange glow from the towering flames flickered throughout the warehouse. Gray smoke had spread over the ceiling and had begun to slowly sink to the concrete below. Rip the damn thing, Jonesy! The jeep rocked back and forth as Coco pushed the wheel toward Jones and, and then Jones thrust back. They choked on the smoke and Jones's side of the wheel snapped and then loosened. He jarred it loose from the steering column. Out my side! <coughs> he kicked open the driver's door and pulled Coco outside. Jones, on his belly, took Coco's hands and dragged him under the smoke. Even the air below was marginal. His only avenue within the blaze was to navigate between the stacks behind the jeep. Entire sections had crashed down, crushing the top of the jeep. Jones reached for the side doorknob, but the knob was fire iron hot. He quickly wrapped his sweatshirt around the metal and twisted open the door. Coco gasped for air once Jones pulled him into a side parking lot. The warehouse windows blazed bright orange against the dark sky. Both men coughed as Jones helped Coco to his feet. At the edge of the building, they observed an empty lot. Gautowski had fled the scene. I'll kill that bastard. It's the last thing I do, Jonesy, <coughs> said Coco, limping as he held his side of the steering wheel. Yeah, which one? Asked Jones, wiping his brow. Yeah, you got that right. Coco smiled. <coughs> you didn't fall back there, Jonesy. <laughs> you fold, you fry. Jones stepped back from the building. The good thing about Frankie Ski... <coughs> is he doesn't know where Sandra is, and he doesn't know about Ramsey. Yeah, no kidding. But this whole thing has got him mega pissed off. What now? asked Jones. <laughs> it's kill or be killed. Coco pressed the downtown hotel phone to his ear. No way. We're staying here until I find Fat Frank. Why not? He's that well connected? No, the maintenance guy hacked off the cuffs. Right. I'll talk to you. What did they say? asked Jones, turning from the 15th floor window. They want us to stay right here for now. We'll have phones in a car in about an hour. What about Sherman? Sherman's a very powerful man, Jonesy. They've dropped what we told them to the media, but nothing's happening. 
Looks like Gautoski thinks we're dead. Jones grinned. You think Lester went back to Hamilton? Who cares? The moron got suckered by Bender. Gautoski's guys must have followed them out to the pavilion. I'm calling Donovan, said Jones. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, Jonesy, but Donovan's number is in your phone, which is underwater. If we don't, Bender will do more damage. Oh, yeah? They'll arrest us on the spot if you call Donovan. We need to lay low and find Gautowski. Coco, I'm not going to kill him. I've been a goody-two-shoes for too long. Hey, you can be a goody-two-shoes all you want. I'm not saying kill Gautowski. We find out where he is, and then we call Donovan. Okay, you're right. Hey, you remind me of my brother Anthony. He back in New Hampshire? Coco turned away. His eyes wandered. Nah, he's in New York. Listen. We need to locate Ramsey and the girl first. Make sure they're going after Gautowski for attempted murder. Unless Boston gets him first. I thought you were a goody two-shoes, said Coco, smiling. He pointed at Jones. If they think Ramsey isn't going to take care of Gautowski, Boston will kill Frankie Ski. Jones returned to the room and threw the keys on the writing table. Coco stared at the TV monitor. The longhand gun given to him by some guy named Oscar lay across his lap. The RAV4 is parked in the garage. It has a full tank. What's going on? There was a shooting down at the court administration building. Got a bad feeling about this. You think it's Ramsey, don't you? Happened about 45 minutes ago. Somebody's got to take it right to Gautowski. An overhead helicopter showed the plaza around the court buildings and the city street leading to the lake. Then a shaky scene on a video camera focused on a woman holding a microphone. Am I on? She grabbed her earpiece. Not good. This is what we have so far. Almost an hour ago, two masked men broke into the seventh floor of Assistant District Attorney Myra Ramsey. Ms. Ramsey was shot several times by both men brandishing handguns. Medical examiner Earl Cameron has told 12 News that Ms. Ramsey was killed instantly. Police and FBI tell us that her desk was ransacked, as was the Connor safe. Police are not sure what the intruders were looking for. Where the hell's Kobe? asked Coco. She must have gotten out or they would have mentioned her name, said Jones. Well, that's true. You know what this means, Jonesy? What? <laughs> means the girl, wherever she is, is the only thing blocking Gautowski for getting indicted for them murders. He reached for the phone book he had taken out of the table drawer. What are you looking for? The union hall. You're not thinking of confronting him there, are you? What's the other option, Jonesy? The guy's killing all his opposition. He ran his finger along the page. 1400 Orleans Boulevard. Won't the cops be over there? No, not yet. They have no idea who killed Ramsey, but we do. He shoved the clip into the handgun. With Ramsey dead, we'll have to call Donovan. I'm getting you antibiotic cream and gauze at the pharmacy. I'm all right, Jonesy. Sure you are, said Jones as the line clicked. My name is Matthias Jones. I want to speak with Special Agent Donovan. He knows who I am. One moment, please. Half a minute later, Donovan came on the line. Matthias, how can you still be alive? Sorry to disappoint you, Mark. There's a theory that your body and Stefani's body will be pulled out of the Gabardine warehouse south of the city. Where's Sandra Colby? Was she shot? Where are you? Is Colby alive? was in the administration building just before the shooting, and now she's disappeared. Jones steered to the inner lane. Gautowski murdered Ramsey. You mean he ordered the murder, said Donovan. Let me tell you as a witness, Mark, 
Fact. He set the fire at Gabardine and handcuffed us in the Jeep. Fact. Attempted murder at the warehouse. I didn't know that. And your boy Bender. He was right there with Frankie Ski. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you better believe it. He probably sent Gautowski's men out to the park to kill us all. We need to question you about the shootout. First, you need to find Colby. She's the only witness to the Five Lakes murders. I understand that. Did Ramsey tell you about Congressman Sherman, Warren Sherman? No. The deposition was never written. We've suspected Sherman taking money from Gautowski, but we have no proof. Can you say she knows? No, David Kimball. Where is he? Dead. Killed at the Arboretum on Sunday. Okay, I got that report. Thias, I'm ordering you two to meet me. Just because you have some wacky paper linking me to the agency doesn't mean you're my superior. You sound like Bill, but you really should tell us where you are. Not yet. Jones hung up the hotel phone. We are so screwed. Why? asked Coco, holding his leg. Let's face it, we've been involved in half a dozen homicides in the past 48 hours. You worry too much, Jonesy. Worry too much? My career is over. I'll go to jail. You're going to coach ball in New Hampshire. Relax. Everything goes back to Gautowski. I don't think I killed anybody. You didn't. We got lawyers that can get them off your back. Donovan knows that without us, this whole Gautowski thing would be buried. Plus, you just fingered Bender. Jones sat at the writing table chair and clenched his fist. They killed Dad. He killed Dad. I don't care what it takes. On the way to the Union Hall, Jones drove with Coco along the freeway toward downtown Cleveland. He saw the outline of the Rock and Roll Museum. He thought of his father's obvious reference to the museum and his traveling to Cleveland. Jones parked the RAV4 on a side street lined with spindly bare trees. In the cooler air, he and Coco moved along rows of houses toward a red and gray sided building with a rear parking lot. The empty lot boarded a railroad track and a chain-link fence. They turned onto another road and headed down the sidewalk. Jones leaned on the chain-link fence a few houses away from the Union Hall. Only a couple of cars in the parking lot. I highly doubt Gautowski will be here, said Coco in a low voice, but we can find out where he is. Let me do the talking. Jones's head snapped to the right and he smiled. Oh, I'm looking forward to this performance. They veered toward a solid gray metal door. Jones opened the door and stepped into a tiny foyer. Long Formica tables were set up inside, and a fully stocked bar boarded the outside wall. The overhead TVs were off. Jones opened the inner glass frame door and entered the musty hall. A series of offices extended above the bar and across from the wooden rafters. Yeah, said a Santa Claus man with suspenders and a plaid shirt. Yeah, right, said Coco, stepping forward. I'm supposed to meet Frank about a beer price for the kegs. The hell are you talking about? Frank, don't do that shit. Coco spoke inches from his face with a forceful tone Jones had never heard. Look, chum, Frank wants our prices. Now don't screw up. We got him rock-bottom deals. Now where the hell is Frank? He's, uh, he's at his house. Leave the prices and then scram. Despite his bad leg, Coco lifted the guy up and thrust him against the wall. Then he took out his gun and pointed it at the guy's temple. You give me directions to that house right now, Bozo, or I'll trim your beard with my gun. The man's blue eyes bulged as he studied the gun barrel. Fairview Ave. It's the only house on the road to Point Navidad. Good. Thanks for your cooperation. Coco removed the gun. 
Tell him Coco Stefani was here. Coco Stefani. Sure. Coco put the gun in his holster, and he and Jones exited through the front door. Why did you tell him your name? Because it's going to freak out Fat Frank that we're alive. When people are freaked out, Jonesy, they make mistakes. We're going to need all the mistakes we can get. Jones parked away from a dirt road, winding along the cloud-laden shore. A multi-layered, dark-framed mansion, perhaps a hundred years old, sat on a knoll, surrounded by shrub trees and taller trees shielding the house. They started through the scrub brush off the main road. Coco, you can't travel through here with your leg. My leg's better with the crap you got me at the pharmacy. What are we going to do, just go in there and plug him? No. We'll be heroes with the feds if we bring Fatso out alive. Plus, he needs to testify against Sherman. If he's dead, Sherman will squirm out of it. Jones nodded. Once Sandra surfaces, she'll bring down Gautowski. If she surfaces. They followed a shallow stream closer to the house. In the front drive were seven cars, according to Jones's count. To the right was a barn and an extensive backyard with a covered pool. It could be dozens of his guys in there, Jonesy. We need backup. At the outside fail rents, the cathedral ceiling living room was visible in front of a tall stone chimney. Coco hit Jones's shoulder and he pointed toward the lake. There's a boat out there. Look, the feds must have this place cased. Why don't they just bring him in? They got nothing on this guy except our testimony. Listen, we're outgunned here. The feds can handle it. Let's go back to the hotel. Jones nodded as a bullet hit the foliage behind him. He and Coco leaped into the sand. Five men appeared in front of the garage. All had rifles, and they began firing at the fence. The barrage did not allow them to retreat through the brush. Coco fired, and one of the men went down. Jones closed his eyes briefly. The incoming onslaught continued once the men spread apart behind the cars. Aim for the tires and the gas tanks, Jonesy. Okay. Jones tried to hit the cars. Coco had punctured the Cadillac's gas tank. A spark ignited a quick, expanding fireball, and the car disappeared. The fire quickly spread to the roof, and then the gunfire ceased. Out on the lake, the boat started toward shore. Back to the car, said Coco. Jones nodded, and they retreated through the brush. At the house, a low chugging machine noise echoed into the surrounding property as a massive chrome-grilled 18-wheeler with smoke spiraling out the cab's side pipes emerged from the garage. Coco slowed near the top of the hill and held his leg. Give me a second here, Jonesy. As the truck shifted and rolled down the dirt drive, the fire spread quickly onto the mansion's upper floors. Jones assisted Coco up the hill and helped him over the rail fence. He heard the shifting truck below as he hoisted Coco into the front seat. As Jones started the little SUV and brought the car in a complete circle, the 18-wheeler snorted and darker smoke rose from the side pipes. The massive machine bounced down the dirt road. Jones spun the tires in the sand and passed the driveway as they raced back toward the city. Less than 10 minutes later, near the city limits, he spotted the 18-wheeler in the rearview mirror. The truck. What? Asked Coco as he checked the side mirror and then peered over his shoulder. What the hell is this all about? I had the city brighten in the afternoon sun, but the truck gained speed down the freeway. Jones slowly pushed the accelerator. The truck was less than a half a mile away. As Coco jammed new clips into both guns, bullets flew again. They punctured a tire and Jones fought to control the car. He thumped into the breakdown lane. Coco ordered Jones out of the car. 
Jones rounded the hood as the gargantuan truck raced closer. He and Coco crawled over the guardrail. Less than a minute later, the truck crashed into the car, plowing it over the rail. The truck slid along the rail and coasted to a stop in the middle of the highway. Car horns beeped as Gautowski exited from the driver's side. He held out a gun with both hands and ordered Sander Colby out of the cab. She wore a green army jacket and jeans. Gautowski pushed the gun to her head. Jones, Stefani, come out here now or she dies. I don't care. Let her go, fat boy, cried Coco. You kill her and you die, Frank. Jones ducked behind the guardrail. Keep talking with him. Stay back here, Jonesy. Jones heard his words as he continued under the guardrail. Hey, Frank, let her go and I'll guarantee you passage out of the country. No deal. Why not? You know too much, growled Gautowski. And you know I tried to kill you at the warehouse. Let the girl go. The traffic had stopped and the area around the truck cleared. Jones was now 50 feet beyond the truck. He crawled over the rail, and with the gun pointed out, he started down the open outside lane. The truck provided a shield, but Jones would be in the open once he passed around the hood. Coco must have seen him because he rose behind the guardrail ahead. Jones tiptoed behind Gautowski, the gun still at Colby's head. He yelled something at Coco as Jones closed in. Jones's heart pounded, and he wondered if he could kill the Union leader. He thrust the gun forward, but used the handle to whack the gun out of Gautowski's hand. Sandra broke away as the gun bounced on the pavement. Jones pushed his own gun into Gautowski's rounded gut. The rotund union boss screamed at Jones. Go ahead, kill me if you have the guts! Jones's finger shook on the trigger as he pictured Dad's lifeless body in the truck. But he also knew that without Gautowski alive, Sherman would never be brought to justice. You're going to trial, Frank. I, I ordered my people to kill your old man. Jones lifted the gun to shoot Gautowski. It was only Donovan's voice from behind that stopped him. Don't kill him, Matthias. A cadre of cops closed in from both sides. Donovan himself sent Gautowski to the pavement, and in seconds the Union leader looked like a whale in handcuffs. You all right, Jonesy? asked Coco. Jones, his face unmoving and ashen, still held the gun. Yeah, you were going to shoot him. Jones's head panned and his eyes watered as he studied Coco's dark pupils. Donovan hadn't showed up. I would have killed him, Coco. You were justified, Jonesy. You were justified. All sorts of information is coming in. Congressman Warren Sherman is paid off by Gautowski with pension money. Pension money converted to stocks and drugs. Untraceable, Coco says. Coco's contacts from Boston are shadowing Coco and Jones to protect them from Frankie Ski's mob. But Frankie Ski's men move in and line up Coco and Jones against the wall and point automatic weapons at them. Frankie Ski later shows up and brings Jones and Coco to a warehouse where they are chained inside Lester Larson's Jeep. Coco and Jones get out of the warehouse before the fire engulfs the entire structure. Coco vows to stay in Cleveland until he gets Gautowski. 
final shootout, the confrontation with Gautowski comes with Gautowski driving an 18-wheeler up the highway and forced off and out of the truck where he is about to be shot by Jones only to have Donovan talk Jones out of shooting the gun and Gautowski is taken into custody. Jones tells Coco he would have shot Gautowski and Coco tells him he's justified. Join me next week for episode four, the wrap-up, the epilogue for Rest in Peace, Bill Jones, where Jones is headed back to Hamilton, New Hampshire. I'm Robert P. Fitton. Have a wonderful day. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.